on the very idea a philosophy podcast hello everyone it's a beautiful october day here i i love uh, october weather in Japan. It's not humid, for starters. Uh, the summer humidity kills me. The weather on the warmer days feels almost womb-like. Womb-like. It just envelopes me. Envelopes me? Envelopes me, man. By the way, at the beginning, I just wanted to tell you about the After Dinner Conversation magazine. It's a it's a magazine that I came across with as a works of fiction that examine ethical situations through fictional stories. It's quite a nice uh, counterbalance to those uh, theory-heavy academic works where you are struggling to look for real-world examples to figure out how these theories apply. I think it also might serve as a, an educational resource, too, because there's uh, philosophical questions for consideration that follow each story. So for, you know, teachers out there. And they got a podcast, too. So please check it out, uh, www.afterdinnerconversation.com. No S, remember, no S. Or you just Google After Dinner Conversation Ethical Stories. Yeah, so please check that out if you get a chance. Now, let's get on with the game. I'll say a quote. It's uh, from, you know, sometimes an obscure philosopher, sometimes a well-known philosopher. And I'll give you five seconds to come up with the name of that philosopher. In the spirit of generosity, I'll say that quote twice. Ah, The old guess who said it. Okay, let's go. This philosopher wrote that any philosophy that can be put in a nutshell belongs in one. Ooh, that's a, quite a sassy quote there. Quite funny, short, and to the point. One more time. Any philosophy that can be put in a nutshell belongs in one. Okay, let me count down. Five, four, three, two, one. Yeah, that philosopher in question is Hilary Putnam, the man we are talking about in this, the uh, Realism with a Human Face episode. Hilary Putnam, you know, the Realism with a Human, this episode where I engage on my uh, chaotic quest to understand quantum physics. Yeah, And usually I don't like to do the same philosopher in the game as I do in the main part of the episode, but after finding this quote from Putnam in his obituary in the New York Times, I was, I was just really excited to share. Anyway, anyway, it's quite funny. According to Putnam, in a field of inquiry characterized by elusive concepts, dizzying isms, and subtle taxonomies, philosophers are in a continual battle to resist simplification. Infinite, or at least enormous, complexity is the nature of things. So, No TED Talkers, no thought leaders for Putnam. I'm reading a book uh, about thought leaders, uh, The Ideas Industry by Daniel Dresner that goes after these kind of ideas that can fit in a nutshell. Theories of everything. hmm? Uh, Well, theories of everything and ideas in a nutshell, I suppose, are 
different beasts. Um, just, uh, you know, just at the beginning of Daniel Dresner's book, The Ideas Industry, but uh, it seems okay. Uh, I wonder if uh, the book can accomplish its chaotic task of being one of the books that I actually finish. Now there's a quest. Anyway, on to the main of the episode. Okay, everyone, let's uh, get back into this, you know. Last time we talked about how the view of the world universe that we get from quantum mechanics eliminates the possibility of a God's eye view of the world. This God's eye view is ideally what we want from our scientific explanations. We want a single viewpoint on which we can understand the whole of the universe. You know, it's very understandable. We want to see the universe as a wind-up toy where every action can be accounted for and every bit of it a gear or a cog. But quantum mechanics tells us the observer or measuring apparatus must always stand outside the system. He cannot be part of the observed, he or she. So according to quantum mechanics, it is always the universe plus one. And uh, anyway, moving on. In quantum mechanics, we have this cut between the observer and the system. We can never get a complete picture. Uh, the observer must always stand outside the system. And here, Putnam brings up Kant a little bit. Uh, he brings up the work of that giant of philosophy, Immanuel Kant. And he says, Immanuel Kant and Niels Bohr, no matter how different they are in eras and ideas, uh, both thought that the world in itself was beyond the powers of the human mind to, to picture. And the new twist of quantum mechanics was that even the empirical world, the world of our experience, cannot be completely described with just one picture. Instead, we need what we need is uh, many different, I guess you could say, complementary pictures with wave pictures in some experimental situations, particle pictures in other situations, and have them kind of on comfortably mesh together. There's no picture above all those accounts that covers all situations. And our mind probably goes to Schrodinger's cat, as it is one of the more memorable examples of quantum wonkiness when we think of the ineliminable position of the observer or measuring tool in quantum mechanics uh, and how the observer can affect the outcome simply by being there you uh well simply by observing i suppose you get the idea of how that works uh, and how it can affect um, quantum mechanics from not being able to get a scientifically describable picture of phenomenon with uh, the observer being left in you know by the way if you ever want a great easy fun book on quantum mechanics try the physicists uh george gamow's books from the 1930s and 1940s about his character mr Tompkins. Uh, just Google George Gamow and Mr. Tompkins. Gamow is G-A-M-O-W. Tompkins is pretty straightforward. These books are structured as a series of dreams in which the character Mr. Tompkins goes 
into these alternative worlds where the physical constraints have radically different values from those they have in the real world. And uh, one of these books focuses on quantum mechanics. He wakes up, Mr. Tompkins, Mr. Tompkins wakes up on a train, but actually is still in a dream. And this dream world is one where the speed of light is a mere 4.5 meters per second, or 10 miles per hour. And he experiences all these everyday things like passing cyclists while on the train, but with counterintuitive experiences that you know, seem magical, but are all scientifically explicable and serve to elucidate quantum mechanics. It's a shame the, these books got lost to time. You don't hear them mentioned really much anymore. And uh, George Gamow does a great job in explaining, in using narrative to explain in, in a way that we would probably use special effects on a Discovery Channel show to explain today. The limits of the means of uh, explaining the ideas at that time, the 1930s, 1940s, probably add to the experience and maybe even contribute to a greater understanding of quantum mechanics. And instead of just using special effects. Yeah. Now, let's get into some new stuff. The next example that Putnam uses to show how the God's eye view breaks down or the, you know, the cut between the observer and the observed, um, how these things are shown in our best understandings of the universe and the world comes from logic. More precisely, it comes from the response of modern logic to that most ancient of logical paradoxes, the liar paradox. And through examining it, we can show how... Even in logic, there's a cut between the observer and the observed. Yeah. Well, uh, on a variation of it. A variation of the liar's paradox goes something like this. I am a liar. That sentence, I am a liar. This sentence is a lie. Or this sentence is false. What's the uh, truth value of these type of sentences? What is the truth value of the sentence, I am a liar? Yeah. Uh, if this sentence is a lie itself, then this sentence is true. But sentences that are lies must be false. And then our heads break and bam, we've got ourselves a paradox. So we, uh, some people say that the liar paradox is not a paradox because these sentences are self-referential. But uh, Putnam quickly dismisses with this. Uh, he says there's nothing wrong with self-reference in and of itself, according to Putnam. Heck, according to me, too. Uh, we self-refer all the time in, in ordinary language for, you know, for narcissists. It's a passion. Think Trump. And Putnam adds that even in formal language... Self-reference is no problemo. Uh, according to Putnam, uh, Goidel, uh, Kurt Goidel, showed that as long as our language contains number theory, there will always be ways of constructing sentences that refer to themselves. There's no problem. So there's no reason to say that this sentence is false is not a well-formed sentence. Even according to the formal rules of logic, there's no problem. That, that, that way of answering the liar's paradox by denying it is denied itself. It's 
not going to work. So this paradox is real. Uh, this paradox has been around all the way back since ancient Greek times. And a lot of philosophers have proposed different solutions. But the one who seems to have definitively, or at least you know, satisfactorily solved it, is Polish logician Alfred Tarski. Now, this Alfred Tarski guy, not often do our philosophical puzzles get solved. This, by not often, I should say rarely. In the many millennia that we've been doing philosophy, uh, very few solutions have been generally accepted by the philosophical community. Uh, at most, people tend just to get bored with a particular problem and don't talk about it again for a few centuries. Uh, so Tarski's solution is quite monumental in uh, this regard. It seems to be accepted by consensus in the philosophical community as the solution to the liar paradox. And before getting into it, I just want to mention that uh, one of my jobs on a research grant while I was in grad school was to uh, double check a professor's translation of one of uh, Tarski's papers from Polish into English. Um, Tarski is a uh, native Polish speaker. He was from Poland. Uh, just for your information, I don't speak Polish. Uh, I may not have ever even heard it spoken. Uh, I was given a Polish to English dictionary and a glossary of key philosophical terms translated from Polish to English and told to check the translation. That was my Christmas vacation for one year. Basically, <clears throat> I just had to make sure that all the key terms were spelt accurately and translated consistently. And I think I was such a philosophy nerd at that time, well, still am, that I relished the task. I killed my eyes, but I got it done. My only lingering memory of the actual work is that Polish has more the letter K than English, like a lot more. And the professor forgot to uh, thank me in the paper at the end of the day. Oh well. Okay, on that little discussion on my relation with Tarski. Um, I'm going to stop there. Uh, sorry, it's kind of a bad place to stop because I'm just getting into Tarski, which, you know, I guess should really be the meat of the podcast episode. But uh, this thing is getting on to about 24 minutes, so I'm going to uh, gotta chop it in half and give you two... 12 to 13 minute episodes so uh sorry about that uh but uh we will continue on next week when we talk about how how putnam ties in the lack of the god's eye view in quantum mechanics with what he says is the lack of a god's eye view or the cut between the observer and the observed that goes on in our theory of logic when we start to take Tarski seriously. So, uh, anyway, sorry about cutting it off at a weird point. And uh, as always, seriously, I thank you for yeah, listening. Thank you. On the very idea, a philosophy podcast. 